Hello, we're reading from Isaiah chapter 6, which is on page 590, the whole chapter, Isaiah chapter 6. And then there'll be another reading from Luke, Luke chapter, I'm not sure, chapter 8. So Isaiah 6 first. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Now turn to Luke, where the preaching will be based on, Luke chapter 8, and we're going to start at verse 4, and Luke chapter 8 is on page 888. So it's uh, another parable of Jesus, hence the, uh, the, the reading from Isaiah about hearing but not understanding. Okay, Luke 8, chapter, uh, verse 4. When a large crowd was gathered and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, 
It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. When he, when he had said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those among the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to see you, wanting to see you. He replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Bernard, and I'm the pastor here at Somalese. Um, and uh, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, just as, as, as Mark's reading and we're all trying to focus, um, and there's uh, plenty of activity from the other rooms around us, it is a time to be thankful for the people who are involved in our kids' ministry every week, isn't it? They serve us so well in uh, caring for our little ones and teaching our little ones the things of the Lord um, so that we can be in here doing our best to pay attention to what's happening up the front as God's word is read and preached. Um, before we pray and dive right into Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 8, could we, um, could we just think about verse 8 particularly together of Luke 8? I think Jesus means to, you know, right down through the years of history and with the sands of time and all the rest, Jesus means to arouse our interest at the very least, inspire us 
um, beckon us with those words there, Luke chapter 8, verse 8. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Yeah, think about life that's represented in those words. It's a picture of life, isn't it, friends? Uh, there in that uh, image of fruitfulness. Um, how many people do you know whose fruitfulness you would absolutely describe with that kind of an image? A life that is so abundant. It was like a single seed. And uh, how do we think about our lives much of the time? Not just a single seed that survived and existed, managed to make it through another year, endured, survived. One of uh, a person very dear to me uh, as, uh, as she was growing up, um, <laughs> I'd say, uh, oh, how you doing? And her reply would always be, oh, surviving. <laughs> verse 8 is such a contrast with that, isn't it? Look at the life that's held out to us there in verse 8, this picture of fruitfulness. What a wonderful image. Yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Friends, here's what we're going to see this morning. When the Lord Jesus, our God as man, uh, walked this earth amongst us, brought God's word to ordinary people, real people, just like you and me, in a different part of the world, in a different day in history. Jesus held forth the prospect of a fruitful life, not just surviving, like a bountifully, abundantly, a hundred times overflowing, spectacular life. And this morning, I invite us to this simple self-assessment. I want to ask us, are we living that? Have we found it? Do we even measure our lives in the terms that would have us arrive at that kind of a conclusion if we get it, if, if and as we're getting it right? Um, Jesus, it seems to me, doesn't just have a, a peculiar kind of person in mind in the sense that it's not just for the especially talented um, or for the particularly well-behaved or for the ones that happen to be born to the right families. Um, no, here is a vision for a fruitful life for ordinary men and women and for boys and girls. Whomever you are here this morning, there's something in this for you. Here is a picture of fruitfulness among the rich and the poor. You think of the audience that Jesus was speaking to and that gathered around him uh, in those days, tax collectors and sinners, those down and out, uh, the powerful men and the uh, disadvantaged women. A fruitful life for the elderly as much as it is for the young. What an extraordinary thing that would be in our culture. A fruitful life for those who are in middle age and struggling with those challenges. For those who are reluctantly single, may I put it that way, for whatever reason. For those whose relationships aren't exactly meeting hopes or expectations at the present. Have you found this kind of fruitfulness in your life at the present time? And perhaps the surprising thing, Jesus invites us to a life of fruitfulness this morning. Uh, And his answer, the route to a fruitful life, uh, where do we tend to look for it? It isn't in the little memes, the sort of Pinterest-worthy quotes or the the sort of life reflections on an Instagram-worthy background about how to live your best life. Uh, It isn't just... Well, you just need to do more, or you just need to try harder, or you just need to do it, whatever it is, or you just need to hustle a little harder until you're crushing it. Uh, Nor is it do less and just take a load off and take a break. When the Lord God walked out earth, he called for something that is attainable by all, 
that's accessible to us all, that's applicable in all areas of, uh, applicable in all stages of life and throughout all of our days, and which actually works. So how about we pray as we come to this magnificent picture of fruitfulness together. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, uh, we give you thanks and praise this morning for your concern for our good. You really do desire our good. Uh, We thank you that life in our universe, it doesn't lack meaning or worth. We don't flail around in a a meaningless mess of our own invention, craving a fulfilment that cannot be found because it doesn't exist. We thank you, O God, that you have not only made us, but you've bestowed extraordinary value on us and on our world and even on our lives and how we can live them. Our God, you are the God who cares. What an amazing thing that is. Our God cares. He cares deeply that we might thrive and flourish and lead lives of fruitfulness. Father God, we do confess that our version of fruitfulness may not be nearly as noble or meaningful as it ought to be. God, would you forgive us for that? Would you transform our thinking and redirect our eyes and change our hearts? Would you please recalibrate our aspirations, but also our sense of assurance this morning? May we be reminded of what matters most deeply, and may we set ourselves, perhaps yet again, perhaps some of us, for the first time, toward a fruitful life before our God. We ask it expectant of your help and your guidance by the Holy Spirit, and we ask it as your needy children, adopted in Christ, looking to our Heavenly Father for help. Answer our prayer, please. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, so the passage starts with um, a real promise. Actually, let me just bring the big, up, big idea up on the screen so that you can see that. There we go. And especially if you're um, taking notes, that's the one that you want to get down. We find a life of fruitfulness by keeping our faith fixed on Jesus. The passage starts with a real promise, or so it seems, uh, in the sense that people are flocking. Verse 4, while a large crowd was gathered and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them this parable. Um, so in, in a sense, as we begin to think about this topic of fruitfulness, well, Jesus' ministry sure seems pretty fruitful right there, doesn't it? It makes uh, the picture here, in a sense, though, seem all the more strange because he seems to dampen our assessment of what's going on in his own ministry, as if to say, there may be huge crowds, sure. But then you think about the parable of the seeds that we're about to read. But not everything that looks like fruitfulness amounts to fruit that is, fruit that is worth bearing. Perhaps there's a lesson there in itself. This morning, I think Jesus lays before us, uh, I'm going to shape it under these headings, three appeals, three appeals that will lead us to a fruitful life. Um, Spiritually fruitful, fruitful in the terms that God intends for us and looks for from us. Fruitfulness that isn't only available um, to a few of us, um, and isn't just there if we want to take it up, but is actually expected of us as the disciples of Jesus, um, demanded of us even. A kind of fruitfulness that isn't just a fantasy, it's realistic, unlike so many of the hollow promises of the good life or success and fruitfulness that are around us and beckon to us in advertising in our day. 
Our God who made us and loves us and cares us now calls to us. So three appeals which light the way to the path of fruitfulness for us in our lives. And the first one is this. Let the word in. Let the word in. Um, you'll notice, uh, before we get to the details of the parable, you'll notice it's read to it's uh, taught sorry in the passage twice it was read to us twice that's because it's in the passage twice the parable is told twice it's told once and then it's repeated but the two tellings are slightly different one is far more full than the other why is that what is the difference jesus tells us let's read from verse 4 of luke chapter 8 While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path it was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plant. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. All right, so you notice the context for that one? Uh, Just very briefly, so a crowd gathered around. Everyone's hearing that version of the parable. And then verse 9, his disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. Which quotes our Old Testament passage from Isaiah chapter 6 that was uh, read to us by Mark a few moments ago from Isaiah's time. Uh, What was happening in Isaiah's time from those dark old days when God's people, for the most part, didn't want a bar of God's word. Oh, they had a prophet in their midst. They had the word of God right there amongst them, faithfully teaching away. They had heaven's spokesman in flesh and blood in their midst, Isaiah. But did they want to hear what heaven had to say and so God told Isaiah speak Isaiah but will any of them get it I reckon this is the first confronting truth for us and and look perhaps it's only pertinent to a few of us here this morning but like Jesus we have a crowd here this morning gathered around uh, the scriptures gathered around the word of God And here was his expectation in his day, as in Jesus' expectation in his day, the crowd includes people who will not let God's word in. People who have ears on the side of our heads. But can they hear? People who are indeed hearing the secrets of the kingdom of God from the Lord Jesus himself in his day. But all they hear is riddles, parables, pictures. But what do they even mean? Um, Slightly more troublingly, it does raise that whole idea that God deliberately obscures, therefore, and veils and hides his word. If they don't want to hear, then I will ensure that they don't hear. But there it is. If you would lead the fruitful life that God would have for you, this is where we have to start. Have we let the word of God in at all? Do we want to hear it? Are we eager to hear it? 
Have we let the word of Jesus, his teaching and his message in to our lives? Or, like old Israel, has his word become an unwelcome chore, a bit of a bore, or a riddle that you're actually not particularly interested in solving? In fact, let me just um, let me just go off on a, a small tangent here for thirty seconds or so, if I could, because um, some of us, I think, get a bit rocked by this kind of thing from time to time. What do I mean by that? From time to time, you'll hear critics of Christianity um, present the Bible's teaching as if it were an indecipherable riddle. Um, perhaps because it's allegedly full of contradictions, or um, they'll describe or they'll kind of ridicule the Bible as a, a befuddled kind of mess of all these competing authors. After all, it was written over a very long period of time by a whole bunch of different human authors, although we believe there's divine authorship behind the whole thing. Uh, or Indeed, some of the better critics, if I can put it that way, will quote specific verses, do a little bit of background work and assert that it's incompatible, the words of scripture, incompatible with archaeology or other writings from history or or whatever. And that stuff really rocks some of us. It really rocks some Christians in our confidence in the Bible. Maybe it rocks even you. May I just say, as someone who has seen some of these critics come and go over time, And also, may I also say, as someone who does care about the details of the scriptures, does like to chase down with the precision of the meaning and the background and some of the history behind it and all of the rest, my experience has been nearly always that the details that critics highlight as these indecipherable riddles are almost always conundrums that Christians spotted centuries ago centuries and centuries ago in the text and have thought long and hard about, nearly always have actually come up with pretty good answers for. But you do have to do the work and it does take time and you've got to let those answers in. And it could be a mature Christian or a good book or your GC leaders or, frankly, often just you and your Bible is a pretty good place to start. Uh, And that can turn indecipherable riddles and contradictions into deep lessons and rich discoveries if we're willing to let the word in. Christ's second appeal, second step on the path to fruitfulness is to learn to let it lead, let the word lead. And here we come to the parable itself. Uh, Now, as we read, uh, maybe try to answer this for yourself. What is it that gets in the way for me? So I'm not suggesting for a second that uh, none of us here is leading the life of fruitfulness of the the fourth of the seeds. Um, In fact, I think that would be demonstrably false. I admire some of you immensely in in your faith and your walk in the Lord. I don't want to come across suggesting anything um, other than that. Um, But I'll bet that there's a tendency for each of us, even for the best soil amongst us. So which is it for you? Which of the less productive or unproductive soils, which do you tend toward? Which seems to be telling more of, or at least a bit of, your story? So the, the overarching point across the parable, let the word lead, I'm suggesting. Let's read from verse 11 together. Uh, where Jesus explains the parable to his disciples, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Um, This is the meaning of the parable, verse 11. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path 
are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. So how many soils are there? There's four, right? There's four different soils before us. Have we seen this over and over in the course of our lives as we think about the people in our lives, not necessarily ourselves, but those um, around us in their interactions with the things of God, that some people firstly miss out on leading fruitful lives in the Lord, actually for no obvious outward reason with regard to their behaviour, their interaction with the, with the, with the word. There seems, it can, uh, you think of particular examples in your life perhaps, there seems to be some kind of openness there, but it's as if circumstances actively conspire against them actually engaging with the word and it really taking root in their lives in, in any real way. It's like, uh, the, could it be, friends, that behind the scenes of our friends' lives there is a spiritual battle being waved and a, a malevolent spiritual influence would sabotage their faith? Have you seen that? In people's lives from time to time. Verse 12, the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. Sometimes it's, verse 13, second soil, it's testing or it's trials. I bet you've seen that too. A very dark season of grief or of hardship comes along in a Christian's life. And sometimes that becomes... Can I put it this way? The spiritually defining season of their lives ever after. Uh, And if you look back up to the first telling of the parable, it uses the word wither. Really evocative word, isn't it? Verse 6 says it withers them, their spiritual life forever after. Have you seen that? Maybe you're experiencing that. I bet we've felt it to some degree, haven't we? Do you look back upon a time of hardship in your life Uh, And I say this with compassion and with respect, a time which, if you let it do this, if you didn't actively speak the word of the gospel over the top of that story, over the top of that narrative, that grief or that sadness in your life, then it would wither you. And maybe sometimes it feels like that's the story that's spiritually winning and you need to let the word lead, actively speak the word of the gospel against that Uh, competing narrative in your life. We need to let the word lead us, do you see? Um, Thirdly, third soil, the worries, riches and pleasures of verse 14. Isn't it curious that worries, as in presumably the worries that I will miss out on, the riches and pleasures of life, (laughs) that worries can turn out to have precisely the same effect on my faith as when I win those riches and pleasures. There is such a thing as a worry that so dominates my mind, our minds, our horizon, 
our little world, that our faith becomes lost in the weeds and choked by those concerns. Oh, they may be real worries. They might be real fears. Those things that you fear may actually come about. I'm not denying that. But will those worries lead you and control you and direct you and overshadow the gospel even in your life? Um, Daryl Bock, reflecting back on these uh, seeds that we've seen, uh, he's a commentator on Luke's gospel. He says it's tempting to ask, isn't it? If, if I'm living with anything other than you know, the word of the Lord leading me, with anything other than the word of the Lord in the driving seat in my life, can I still be saved? Right? You think about the seeds and, and the fate of the, the people described um, under those different um, pictures in the parable. It's tempting to ask. Uh, because what about it? Is the, the trials person, the seed on rocky ground, or the, the worries, riches, pleasures, the, the seed among the thorns, are they saved? And we want to know, um, are they going to make it? Am I going to, that's probably the subtext, isn't it? Am I going to make it? Or does fall away in the text, does that mean like forever? Like what's it mean for me, for my life, for my trials, my worries, my desires, my flakiness, my wavering, my fears? You see where the logic goes. If I'm not absolutely blooming for the Lord, then what of my fate? Which of these seeds am I? And Daryl Bach answers this. I think it's a very astute comment. He says, The spiritual condition of the middle groups is less than clear, possibly on purpose. Jesus, he says, Jesus is not communicating the minimum response required to receive blessing. Rather, he is instructing the disciple on fruitfulness by pointing to obstacles that prevent such a response. Friends, what he's saying is this. Would you, in light of those seeds, in light of this parable, would you search your own heart for obstacles to the word of God leading in your life? What are they? Is there anything now that robs Jesus of the leading, directing, calling the shots in your role, dictating the narrative uh, kind of role in your life? Because if there is, don't content yourself with the bare minimum of how little you can get away with, of how high you can let the weeds in your life of worries and riches and pleasures grow and still barely have the plant survive. Maybe it'll still make it through. What minimum might keep Jesus happy with me? We're being addressed here by the Lord God himself, the secrets of his kingdom that he wants to reveal to his disciples the path to a life of fruitfulness from him, a call that spans circumstance and age and fears and longings and history for human beings. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Which, by the way, is what I think the lamp image is about. I'm not going to um, dwell on that with a, a separate point, uh, but I think the, uh, the lamp image is speaking to this 
kind of stuff. This is sort of an aside. Often, it's interesting, um, when we stumble across images of light and, and lamps and so forth in the, in the Bible, and probably especially in the Gospels, I think we figure, aha, I know what that's about. It's saying, I've got to shine for Jesus, right? Whenever <laughs> we come across a light image or a lamp image um, in the New Testament and in, in the teachings of Jesus especially, it must be all about me. We've got to shine with the light of Jesus to the world. And friends, it often is. And, and yes, that's absolutely part, I think, of the fruitful life here. In fact, I know it's part of the fruitful life in the sense that a life uh, that's fruitful in the Lord bears a crop of what? bears a crop of 100 more seeds, do you see? So there has to be some aspect of that dimension going on here. But I think Jesus' primary point with the the lamp image, the light image from verse 16, um, is actually more like this. I am the light, Jesus is saying. It's my word. And I'm here for you to see, to know, to live your life by. Heaven is, is revealing, it's putting everything on display now. Uh, shape your decisions around me. Start each day with me. You've got to let the word lead. I'm the word that heaven now wants the world to know and to see. Heaven has held nothing back from you. It's all out in the open. Here I am. The real question, the first question is, are you listening? Will you let the word in? And then are you going to let it lead? It's a picture about listening, do you see? Listening and being led. Uh, verse 16, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand. So that those who come in can see the light. For there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. There's a little aside regarding the the lamp. Thirdly and finally, live the word out. Our path to the fruitful life must include this. Live the word out. And here we come to the very simple reality of what it means to be that final type of soil. Just do what Jesus says. It's not complicated most of the time. Some of the time it is, but most of the time it's not. Let the word in, let the word lead, and then finally, live the word out. Not because we're terrified and anxious that it won't be enough or maybe we're the wrong kind of soil after all. No, no. Do you remember where we've been recently in Luke's Gospel? You're already confident that he's forgiven you no matter who you are. Do you remember last week the woman who had received forgiveness even as the self-righteous ones were left in doubt? Uh, He even loves his enemies from a few weeks ago. That is the kind of heavenly father that we have who has received us. No, I think the shoe is on the other foot here. It's not uh, born of anxiety and so forth. Um, I interpret this last bit not as a warning, but as an immense comfort for those who want to walk with the Lord in their lives. For anyone who comes to Jesus and crowds around him, let's read from verse 19 together. I think it's supposed to be a real comfort for us. Verse 19. Now, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they weren't able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Christian, this morning, I want to ask you, is there a comfort in Jesus' words there in the way that he handled the crowd around him, the ordinary people around him, those who are hearing his word, Jesus dwells in the company of those who hear and heed the word of God. 
Is that a comfort for us? Is that a comfort for you as you strive to live for the Lord in your life? You may be going through a trial right now. It may be a trial that feels like it puts the fruitful life, especially as our culture describes it, way beyond your reach. Out of reach, at least for now, maybe forever. A trial that feels like it has put your spiritual life on hold. Jesus doesn't look at the train wreck of your life and think to himself, well, I've got better places to be. I guess I'll come back when they sort themselves out. Christian, the kind of fruitfulness that pleases Jesus and that matters to him, that characterises his brothers and sisters and those that he refers to as his brothers and sisters, it's each day just to hear and heed his word. That is being fruitful in the terms that Jesus values. Perhaps instead you have deep fears and worries as a believer right now. Please at least take this comfort, O brother or sister of Christ. Jesus will not leave you to fend for yourself because he has other people to go and chase after, as in to uh, to fawn after or whatever. As you hear and heed his word, even your greatest fear need not uproot your hopes of leading a life that Jesus considers fruitful and worth it and productive, a life that matters to him and to God and may even bear extraordinary fruit in the lives of the people around you who need to see that kind of a life of fruitfulness and need to see Jesus in the midst of it. Or perhaps, finally, and to conclude, perhaps right now, you are faced with wonderful opportunities. See, it's not just the trials and the worries. It's also the riches and pleasures Perhaps right now you're faced with wonderful opportunities. Oh, how they capture your mind and your heart and your imagination. You find yourself daydreaming and perhaps daydreaming about really quite lovely things and futures and how things might just turn out for you. Let me frame it like this. Please do daydream about bright and lovely, fruitful futures for yourself. But be sure that your daydream shines with the brightness of Christ's guidance in the midst of it, will you? that your future looks forward to the fellowship of Jesus as your brother, that you look forward to a fruitfulness filled with hearing and heeding his word as you go out in his world for him. Shall we pray together? Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, how skewed our perspective on fruitfulness becomes the dreams and aspirations that we entertain for a fruitful life, a life of abundance, the terms in which we understand that, how skewed our perspective becomes, and we are truly the poorer for it. We scramble to get and to enjoy. We feel that all is lost when we cannot get, as if a life of hope and meaning must now slip from our very fingers. We worry about what might be and what must now come. We endure and we suffer waiting for fruitful times that seem only far off in the future as if there is no fruitfulness to be found right where we are. And yet, Father, when we look at the life of the Lord Jesus, we see a fruitfulness, we see a goodness, we see a nobleness, we see a worthwhile life 
even as crowds turned away from him, even as the mob turned against him, even as everything was stripped from him, right there was a fruitful life lived for us, lived to plant the seed of the light of God in our dark world and even in our blind souls. Father, we need, please, the light of Jesus to so shine in our lives every day. Your definition of fruitfulness in our far too barren lives. Would you please give us not just ears for his word, but ears that hear and that keep on hearing and keep on heeding Father, please help us this week to let the word of Christ lead us. May we listen to it. May we learn to even love it. And so may it lead us all our days. May Christ be our joy and our beloved brother and our beautiful saviour. And in his name we ask it. Amen.